Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'd like to begin this podcast by recognizing the traditional owners of the land in which it is recorded. I pay respect to their elders past, present, and those emerging. Oh, if that's okay. Great. If you want me to move Missy Dickens at any point, you let me know. I will. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep on my foot. Dig, sit, 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 go on, sit. Okay, I'm going to kick it off. <laughs> go for it. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Nature or Nurture, the podcast where I ask fascinating people key milestones on what made them who they are today. And my guest today, I'm a huge fan of this person. I've uh, I've hung out with this person a bit and I love them, but I don't know a whole lot about them. They are also being very patient with my huge dog that's in front of them right now, Missy Diggins. <laughs> Richard Chadwick, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's so good to be here. And this dog, if you're listening, this dog is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. It takes up the whole room. Think about the biggest dog and add. 10 yes. dogs. Yeah. Now it is, it also takes, um, because it's got arthritis, it also has um, everything that you get for it to help it is from a horse. So it's horse, like horse standard, um, like oil for the for the hips and everything. Oh, wow. Everything is horse. So okay. that's how big it is. Now, Richard, I, I like to start this podcast by asking a question that I always say is a simple question, but it's absolutely not a simple question. And the question is, do you think nature or nurture had the greatest impact on you? Uh, nurture. I'll nurture, go straight yeah. into nurture. Yeah, yeah it is yeah. a that that uh, that could be an easy or a difficult question. <laughs> yeah, it depends yeah. on how much you need to explain your answer. Don't yeah, you? yeah, absolutely. Where did you grow up? I grew up uh, here in Melbourne in Nam. Yep. I grew up in the southeastern suburbs in a little suburb called Hallam. Yep, sure. I went to yep. school in Dandenong, and I was at I was I, I always giggle because my childhood, my growing up, was where Kath and Kim was set. Yeah, wow. And when Kath yeah. and Kim was on TV, when when I was younger, I, I mean, I obviously thought it was funny, but I was like, this is kind of weird, you guys, because they're laughing at us. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, Fou- Fountain Lakes is based on Fountain Gate, which is exactly where I grew up. You yeah. know, that's where I live. So <laughs> if, if, you, if, you know, if you know Kath and Kim, you know my childhood. Was it exactly like that? It was that sort of, you know, the wattle jumpers and really Australian, you know, really Australian. I mean, the fashion was maybe a little bit, you know, sure. extra. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, everything yeah. else was pretty much pretty much on point. Yeah. What were you like as a kid? Uh, very nerdy. Yep. Uh, very gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, total teacher's pet. Yeah, sure. Not into sports at all. Yeah. Very dramatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were your parents like? Uh, well, my mum was a total sweetheart. Yeah. Um, loved, um, you know, loved having like that shy, gay, nerdy kid. Yeah. My dad was, you know, same sort of guy, but he was real sporty. Yeah, sure. I had yeah. two younger brothers. So I was like, my brothers and my dad, they were the sports kings. And then yeah. there was my mum and I. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people say when they meet people's parents that this, you know, they suddenly make sense. Was it like that for you or? Yeah, yeah. kind of. Well, so my, my mum passed when I was 14. Mm-hmm. So I've really only had the option for friends now to have met my dad. Yeah. Um, Sure, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I like to think that I'm a lot more like my mum than my dad, but, you know, they still do the same thing. They meet my dad, they're like, wow, you're so similar. And I was like, all right, I like to think I'm more like my mum. Thank you. (laughs) Back off. (laughs) Back off. It's always a good thing to say. What were you like at school? Like, I mean, you said you were a teacher's pet. What were you doing at school? What were you interested in? Oh, 
drama first and foremost. Yeah. I have this, I have such a fun memory. I think I was in grade four and we had this really, really old teacher. She was ancient, hey. And I remember one day she played us a CD of animal noises and it was for drama. And what she wanted us to do was move around the room as if we were the animals, you know, kind of like lip syncing to the noises they were making. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is my time to shine. I, remember, I think I was a li- like a lion, whatever, right, like yep. crawling around this classroom. And the teacher, when my mom came to pick me up from school, she gave my mom the CD and said, wow, Richard, like talent really soared today. I want you to go home and ask him to do this exercise in front of you. And so what, how old would I have been? Uh, six, seven, eight, I don't know, seven or eight or something. Yeah. Uh, and I remember being so proud that my teacher asked me to do it and crawling around the lounge room in front of my mum and dad acting like a lion. And my dad just frowning at me thinking, what is this kid that I'm raising? But my mum being like, okay, mate, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Were you in productions after that? So, I mean, after playing an animal for so long, did you, did you move to people roles? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I slowly, I slowly, I slowly got promoted to people roles. Yep, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I did a um I did a I did a children's drama academy in primary school where we put on like an end of year production every year yep. where the script was entirely like rhythmic. It was, it was all rhyming scripts. It was must yep. have been like absolute chaos for my parents to watch. Yeah. So <laughs> cringe, so cringe. But yeah, I played people, I played pirates, you know, I played bus drivers. All right, yeah, the whole range. <laughs> all the big roles, yeah. <laughs> the two goalposts, pirates or bus drivers. <laughs> and what were your friends like when you were growing up? Uh, well, my friends like, uh, like super mixed. Hey, mm. I guess, you know, it's so kind of typical and boring to say oh, I was, you know, friends with everybody, but yeah. I really kind of was, I wasn't super close with anyone, but yeah. friends with everyone at the same time. Yeah. Sure. Keep, I kept my options open. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you make more friends or friends or maybe more in your circle or your kind of people when you moved away? Yeah, I think so. Maybe once I... Probably once I got out of school and came out, I probably started making closer friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because you're kind of forced to be around people in school, aren't you? So you, you know, you can't... I mean, a lot of people find their best lifelong friends in school, but... I, I didn't really know myself until I was out. Yeah. So I couldn't make lifelong friends there. Yeah. Did you always know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always knew. Actually, I always knew from before I could remember, but I just, you know like most people, tried to subdue it and pretend it wasn't real for as long yeah, as possible. Sure. But yeah. definitely knew, yeah. Was the community that you grew up in supportive of that or was it was it kind of a hard thing to... Because, you know, you felt like you had to hide it for a while. No, they weren't supportive at all. They, I mean, when I came out, they were. Mm. But um, it was kind of typical Australian suburban 90s um, 90s community where they'd call everyone, you know, I'm going to use the bad words here, but the faggots and poofters yeah. on the footy oval or on the street or in road rage. And you just hear it all the time. Think, my gosh, how could I ever come out? These yeah, people are going to yeah. hate me. But it's not real. It was just kind of the culture. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness we've kind of moved past that now mostly, I think. But um, yeah, I, you know, it made me really scared to come out, but I learned that... Uh, that yeah, it was. They didn't really feel that way. They just needed to do some unlearning themselves. Yeah, sure. When when did you find yourself? Like, what do you have a moment where you're kind of like, oh, this is me. This is what I want to do. Um, no, not a specific moment. Uh, I think. I mean, we're we're always still kind of learning about ourselves, aren't we? But I think maybe um, the most pivotal point for me of finding myself was. 
uh, how, how must have been in my early to mid twenties, and I took my I had my sea change year. You know, a lot of people take that gap year and go overseas and yeah, have that European yeah. holiday. I had no money. Yeah, <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. No money, no savings. Were you still in Hallam at that time? Uh, no, no, no. I was I was up living here in Fitzroy. Right. Yep. Um, and very cool part of Melbourne. Yeah, very I, was a, cool. I was a cool guy already. I was yeah. I was working, living in Fitzroy. Or I ran a bar in Fitzroy. I was like, I was a cool guy, yeah. but you know, I still didn't really know myself. I took my sea change and I um I sold everything that I owned yep. that didn't fit in the back of my Magna and um, I drove myself across the country to a little town in WA called Shark Bay. Wow, okay, right. 12 hours north of Perth, 150 k's off the highway, only one road in and out, population of 600 people. Were I, you I, heading there or do you heard of Shark Bay before? I've seen it on the map and right. I, I, I'd been everywhere in Australia except that northwest coast yeah. and I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go there and explore that and I love sharks mm. and I thought what a great place to start. I'll start there and I'll move north. I ended up loving Shark Bay and I stayed there for a year. Yeah, wow. Um, what did you do there? You were still working in bars? I got, yeah, I worked at the, at the old pub they called it. I worked at the old pub and I worked at a little cafe. So I opened the cafe in the morning and then went next door and closed the pub at night. Wow. Like literally six or seven days a week. What a gap. Yeah, just working the whole time. <laughs> and then whenever I had time off or nights off, I'd, I I bought a four-wheel drive and I kind of got a dog there and we'd just go camping and snorkeling and diving wow. and drinking. Yeah. So much yeah, yeah, drinking. Yeah. Um, and it was fun, but I did kind of feel like the world was existing without me at that stage. So after 12 months, I kind of got cold feet and moved home. And it was within like two weeks of moving back to Melbourne that I found drag. Wow. So I think that did that, you move back to Fitzroy? I moved back to I moved straight back to Fitzroy. Yeah, yeah. And I think so. I think that that at that point when I got home, that was kind of where the like the current version of myself was born. When did you first see drag? Oh, um, I guess I guess like most people, I saw it in Priscilla. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, and like Barry Humphreys' Day Medna on TV. Yep. But then I would have seen it for the first time when I was eighteen, going. I think the exchange or the peel was my first gay bars in Melbourne. So yeah, right. Miss Candy yep. and Sandra up on the stage. Yeah, wow. Um, but then I kind of that that was when I was eighteen. I went to the gay bars for maybe two years. And I really kind of didn't like it. The drag queens scared me. I didn't understand them. Yeah. So I did. I kind of I kind of avoided it for a few years after. When I found drag, when I came back from Shark Bay, I found it on the internet. It okay. was specifically David Hoyle, right? Uh, the okay. Divine David from the UK, from Manchester. Um, I came across him on YouTube. I think a friend showed me him and I just thought he was the most like outrageous thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. And so I, David Hoyle was my like modern introduction. And, and what did you, like, did you go, I want to do that straight away? Yeah, I want to yeah. do that. Yeah, I want to, I, I want to, I wanna, it wasn't so much I want to do that, but I was like, I want to understand this. Yeah. Like, this is, this is wild. I mean, David Hoyle, if, let me see if I can give you a visual description. <laughs> he was like, he's, I mean... It was drag. It was like performance art, but it was not your typical idea of a drag queen. It was kind of like no wig, no costume, makeup smeared across the face like army paint. Um, the, specifically, the video I'm thinking of, he was decorating a Christmas tree with raw sausages. Um, sure. It was like, I was like, this is just bizarre. This yeah. is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what was the next step for you? Did you decide that that was something that you were going to get up and do live? Did you want to have a YouTube channel? What, what was the next step? The next step was, um, was throwing parties. So kind of my housemates and I who had gotten really close and really kind of getting into this at the same time, we were looking for places in Melbourne to go out and enjoy and kind of celebrate this like kookiness that we'd come across, but we didn't really know of anywhere to go and we didn't yeah. really have other friends that were in, in, invested or interested. So we, um, we threw our own party, it was called Disco Abyss. We ended up throwing five of them, but the very first one was in, in the city down um, 
just off Flinders Lane. Mm. And we kind of invited all of our friends to come and get involved and, you know, wear trashy makeup and get crazy. And through doing that party, we did kind of start finding the sub community in Melbourne. We did start meeting other people and, um, and integrating ourselves into other networks and other groups and other communities to find, to find that scene, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So that was the next step was throwing events. And then from there, I started performing. Wow. And so did you, you made a lot of friends in that time. I mean, your housemates at the time, were they into drag as well? Uh, yeah, they were all into it, but I really took it, yeah. and, I took it <laughs> yeah. and ran with it. <laughs> you took it to the next level. I, I remember saying to my housemate at one stage, I was like, hey, I was like, people get paid to do this. Maybe I could quit my job and just get like one or two shows a week, yeah. you know, at circuit or something. And then that would pay my rent and I could just study and like have a great life. And she laughed at me and she was like, yeah, good luck. That's really like a tough gig to get. <laughs> Like fast forward 10 years. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working in bars and, mm. you know, what was, what was the first gig that you did as a drag queen? Was it, was it the Karen from Finance we know now or was it an uh, earlier version? No, it was an earlier game? version. The early version was, um, was like this dystopian monster version of Karen, you know? Yeah. It was like the, the, the original version of Karen from Finance was like she'd gone out for drinks with the girls from the office on a Friday um, had woken up like from a bender three weeks later and was still three part- weeks. Yeah, like three weeks later and she was still partying. Yeah. It was like that was that was the Karen that I wanted to send out yeah. to the world. She was just a monster. Yeah. And um and you know, but there was also something really like um uh likable and what's the word I'm looking for? Um not relatable. Vol- not volatile, definitely relatable, but everyone like everyone kind of like cared for her and like vulnerable they vulnerable they really yeah. liked her even though she was a monster yeah they really they really loved her she was really lovable from the get-go what do you think that was do you think that's just you shining through because you're a very lovable person do you think it's you shining through that character well you know what as rupaul desperately tried to tell me when i did drag race that is my mum coming through my drag yeah, yeah. and you know i've kind of tried to push that away because i'm like i don't think that's right i don't think that's right but i i think i've kind of settled that you right. know, i think it is me kind of like channeling Memories of my mum through my drag. I think that I have to give myself over and just accept that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> what What was the first kind of, you know, in comedy people say sets. They do sets of, you know, what whatever that was. What, yeah. what was the first show like for you? The first show is a show, I've kind of retired it now, but people love to see it. It's still it's still kind of iconic for Karen. It, it, it's, a, it's a piece called Karen Gets Fired. Yep. It's like an eight minute lip sync piece um, that tells a story of Karen turning up to work and getting fired by her misogynistic boss. Yep. Realizing that she's not destined to be unemployed. She is fierce and she deserves her job back. And so she goes in and fights for her job back and she gets it. Yeah. Um, she's reinstated. And it involves um, most like iconically a lip sync to Julia Gillard's sexism and misogyny speech. Yeah. Um, the song Why Don't You Get a Job by The Offspring. Dolly Parton's 9 to 5 is in there. It's a full mix. Yeah. It's really dumb and crazy. Yeah. That was the first set I ever did. And it just like, it just had, um, it had feet to it. I've been doing it for nearly 10 years since. Wow. Mm. And and where did you go after that? Did you, did you quit your job? Were you able to quit your job working in bars or... How do you start to do it professionally? Yeah, slowly, but sure. Actually, I mean, to be fair, in hindsight, it happened kind of quickly. But at first, I, I, was, I was working full-time in bars and then I quit the bar to do a small business management course so that I could open my own venue, wow. um, which allowed me to get like a little pub job and a little cafe job. But instead of studying, drag kind of picked up and I started getting booked straight away. Wow. I was like, well, I can't, I can't work these nights and do drag at the same time. So slowly but surely I started cutting shifts until 
the, actually the cafe I got fired from because, you know, I was working Saturday nights and trying to open this cafe on a Sunday. Wow. I'd be turning up with a full set of acrylic nails, panda eyes, still drunk. And they're like, we just can't have you working here. Wow. You're like, <laughs> I did it in Perth. Uh, yeah. Just exactly. minus, the, minus the makeup. Minus maybe. the makeup. Yeah. And um, so, I, you know, get it, kind of getting fired. I was like, I, I, I knew it was coming, but I was like, this is also the right move. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. And, and so... When you when did it kind of start to turn professional for you? Was it was it pretty? I mean, you're talking about it happened pretty quickly. Yeah, well, it turned professional when it like it was my only source of income. Sure, and yeah. so I had to take myself seriously. Yeah, and I mean, at the same time, that was a really easy thing to do because I really respected the art form that I'd I'd found and yeah. come across. I really respected it. I really loved it, and I really wanted to dedicate myself to it. And drag is kind of the thing that. If you want to be good at it, you really have to throw everything you've got at it. You have yeah. to be fully invested. And so for it to be my only source of income, it was really easy to yeah invest myself that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and so who were, who were kind of the people that you started to like around you? Were there people that you kind of started out with that you're, you know, you've gone through the, all of that? all of that with not necessarily that I started with but people that I admired that I was able to start working with like the first person the first queen that's coming to mind is Polly Filler yeah, she, yeah you know she's been doing drag for 27 years she's originally from New Zealand she lives here in Melbourne she actually she lives out in Bendigo now yeah. and she was she was always hosting Sunday nights at circuit and I used to love going down you know Pistas Emmy on a Sunday, watching Polly do her show. Every time she ran around the pole, we'd do a shot of tequila. And uh, she was just an icon. And I, I, I got when I started working full time, I got to work with her, and I got to work with her a lot and get close. And I, I learned a lot of the old school tropes of drag from her. Yeah, wow. Mm. A lot of people say that their favorite. You know, you're always one of people's favorite drag queens, but also the name. People love the name <laughs> so <Yeah>. much. <laughs> Where did the name come from? The name, the name came from um, some friends and I were at a thrift store one afternoon before we were going to a house party and there was a $15 rack of gaudy old prom dresses at the checkout. Yeah. And uh, we all thought, let's buy them. Let's wear them to the party tonight. At the time, it was pre-drag. I had a big beard, huge piercings. <laughs> and uh, we all wore these dresses to the party. We were super drunk. And we started coming up with characters or names for the women that would have owned them when they were brand new <laughs> right. and, you know, off the sale rack. And I decided that mine belonged to a woman called Karen who worked in finance and she had this whole backstory, a budgie called Dante, and she's like desperately in love with her job but desperately bad at it. Yeah. And... Um, and so it kind of, the character kind of came there. And then the very first time that I did do drag, I went to a friend's 29th birthday party. The theme was Dolly Denim and Diamantes. Mm. I looked like a monster. I thought I looked like Dolly Parton. <laughs> but I turned up on my friend's doorstep and they said, oh, who, who are you? And it spat out of my mouth, Karen from finance. And wow. from there it just kind of stuck. That's amazing. Mm. Did you have friends from school come and see you? What did, what did your dad and, and your, you know, your, your siblings think of you? Yeah, I do. Especially now I've got heaps of friends from school coming yeah, sorry, there's a, I'm, I'm not going to even. Oh, there? Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Dump and run. Yeah. Very good delivery driver. Just wave at you. That's so nice. I've never <laughs> so seen nice. that before. Usually they don't even bang. They just keep driving. Yeah. Throw it out the window. Yeah, if you're lucky. <laughs> um, yeah, so they came and saw you perform. Yeah, I have heap, like heaps of school friends, especially now, heaps of friends from school come and watch the show. Even like my ex-girlfriend from when I was 16 at high school, she yeah. comes and watches the show wow, yeah. with her current husband, who I think is a police officer. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, heaps of school friends come now. My family come to all my big, like all my big shows in the yeah. city. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, it's been a funny, it's been a fu funny trajectory for them because when I first started, they were like, oh God, Richard's like partying too hard. Yeah, <laughs> sure, 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 yeah. Um, but, and uh, they have seen me kind of get better at it and take it more seriously and also progress 
with it. Of course, yeah. And to, to the point that they're like, oh, this is actually what he's been looking for. You know, we remember him running around the room like a, like a lion in the, the lounge room when he was like seven years old yeah. and now he's running around like a woman on stage. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's the trajectory. That yeah. it makes sense now. Was it hard to find that balance? Because sometimes, you know, like when I used to do stand-up, I always kind of realised that partying because you're out drinking you're always at a pub you're always doing things did you find it hard to kind of find that balance between a social thing and treating it as a job um no i haven't found it difficult i found it necessary and important but you know it's not really anything to drag about but i um i love booze yep and I love partying and I can drink like a fish and right, I can yeah. hold it really, really well. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever gotten in the way for me, but it's certainly gotten in the way of maybe other relationships where um, I will, you know, be slamming down the shots of Fireball and the other performers that I'm with cannot handle it. Yeah. And so there'll be like, there'll be dramas caused there. I've learned that now I kind of separate my work and partying, like I don't yeah. really like to go out and drink and drag anymore. Yeah. I also prefer, you know, I'm kind of doing hour long, you know, solo shows now. I don't really need to be drunk to do that. Uh, I don't really do the club gigs as often, but, you know, I, I still think that a drag queen is there to turn the party. She doesn't need to be drunk to do it, but, yeah. you know, sometimes that's just part of the job. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and for you, like when you actually started doing the doing apart from you know when you i guess you first did that how long was the first set that you did it was like a 10 minute with the you know with the songs of actually the bender oh the first set was like seven minutes but that was like you know the other drag queens were standing side stage with their arms crossed being like bitch anything more than three and a half minutes and yeah right stage you know (laughs) (laughs) did you how were the skills coming were they coming fast with like comedy and writing new stuff yeah, it, it um it all came pretty naturally. In, I mean, with drag, the writing didn't for me didn't come till much later because yeah. you're really just lip syncing other people's music, you know. Yeah. And it was one thing to be able to tell a story by mixing a few tracks together and a little bit of YouTube spoken word or whatever. Yeah. But the the actual sitting down and writing like a set or a show for me that didn't come till much later in my career. Yeah. Um, sure. It did come naturally. I mean, I struggle with it like the rest of us. You know, six months to write, you write in the last week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have sure. anxiety for the first five, you know. Yeah. <laughs> when did you start to build your following and start to get recognized more? When when did that kind of come about? Was there, was there a simple moment that you remember? Uh, I, I had a big increase in my, like, internet, online, worldwide following after a mention from Trixie and Cartier on their YouTube channel. Yeah, right. Um, I had a, I got a pretty good following in Melbourne pretty quickly. I was hosting some pretty big shows and, you know, everyone always seemed to have a good time. But that, them mentioning me on the internet kind of gave me like a little bit more of like a worldwide presence. Yeah, sure. And um, I kind of acted on that and jumped on it. I took myself, I took myself over to a big drag convention in LA. Yeah. Like, you know, that following year and um, just kind of <laughs> tried to harbour that popularity and make yeah <laughs> you run with it you know yeah yeah, yeah. um but um no i there was, apart from that there wasn't really a specific time it just i've it's always been very lucky that people have gravitated to and enjoyed my work yeah yeah was was rupaul being on rupaul always a dream of yours or do you had you seen it for had you been a fan of it had you watched it I was a big fan of Drag Race. Yeah. And I had a really um, strong relationship with the show and the brand and the company that produced it for years before I was asked to do it. Yeah. Um, it was a dream to do it. It's kind of any drag queen's dream to do it. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed doing it, 
it was very traumatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a very difficult thing to do. It was a really cool thing to do, but it was really difficult. And we, you know, we shot our season in the middle of the 2020 lockdown. Yeah, of course. I hadn't seen or spoken to anyone in a year. I hadn't done drag in a year. And then, you know, the next time I was seeing a friend or dre- dressing up, it was on international television. You know, it was pretty haunting. Yeah. Um, but it was such a cool thing to do. And I'm so grateful for the experience because it's just expanded my audience so much. And, yeah. you know, the things I get to do now, I, I could never have dreamed without the show. Did you have to go, like, when you got the news? Like, do you remember when you got the news that you were actually being on the show? Yeah. Um, it's quite a good story, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, 2020, when we thought our life was over, yeah. I thought, I'm never going to perform again. I'm going to live in the out here in the suburbs the rest of my life. Yeah. My performance life is over. I'd actually applied for a Christmas casual job at Dan Murphy's in Frankston, stocking the shells overnight. Wow. Okay. Yep. And I got an, it was a Thursday. I think it was the 23rd of October, 2020. It was a Thursday. And I got an email from Dan Murphy saying that I, I wasn't successful oh, because no. they didn't think that my um, customer service skills aligned with their like policies. And here I am like a, what was I? Like a 32 year old, you know, man with heaps of retail and hospital experience yeah, yeah. telling me that I wasn't sufficient for a, a shelf stocking overnight job at Dan Murphy's Christmas casual. I was dark. Yeah. That same afternoon, that same evening, I got a random email from someone at Warner Brothers in New Zealand uh, attaching an NDA saying, could you please sign this and take my call in half an hour? You're going to want to hear it. And it was it was the executive producer saying, hey, um, we want you to be on Drag Race. So I was like, okay, I won't do Dan Murphy's, but yeah. I will do Drag Race. That's, that's <laughs> so interesting as well, that doing a night, a night shift where you wouldn't even have any interaction with people they're talking about customer service well it was like this online um this online survey questionnaire thing that kind of gave like an instant response so you know who knows where i went wrong yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) who knows so dan murphy's it's a no from dan it's a no from dan i've since i have done i've done pride gigs for dan murphy's though i've performed in their head office so i might they might i'm good at taking the vodka off the shelf maybe they don't want me putting it on Sponcon for Dan Murphy's, yeah, great brand. Yeah. So in in a pandemic, mm. how does that happen? Like, do you, you know, it was it really difficult, I imagine, to actually to yeah. actually start moving and, and think about going up to New Zealand? Yeah, we had six weeks between get, getting told that we were on the show to actually, like, flying to New Zealand to film yeah. it. And those six weeks, um, we were in a deep, dark, heavy lockdown. Mm. Christmas and New Year's were also at the same time. So not only was everything closed because of the pandemic, they were also closed online because of Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. And, you know, the post was screwed. And, you know, drag is like, you got to, you got to get, you got to, be resourceful. You got to get stuff from everywhere. And so meeting with costume designers and all that sort of stuff, it was just impossible. Um, And, you know, apart from preparing costumes, you got to prepare acts and talent shows and comedy skits and write jokes and all of the, it was was a lot to do um, (laughs) in a lockdown. It was pretty, pretty crazy. (laughs) It was a really steep learning curve. Were there, were there people that were helping you through that? Well, you know what? um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I'll say it anyway. Um, We can cut it out if you like. (laughs) When I found out that I was, I'm sure it's fine. When I found out that I was doing the show, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to need some jokes for this. Um, Reese Nicholson was the first person I called. Right. And I said, hey, I'm not allowed to tell you what's going on, but um, let's just say there was a certain drag tally show that I was on and I needed to read some bitches. Yeah. <laughs> um, w- would you be interested in, in, in writing? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's chat soon. And like a week later... Um, we had another call and he was like, so (laughs) 
I've decided I can't do that for you anymore. I was like, oh, why not? He's like, conflict of interest? I was like, um, what do you, what do you mean? You're not a fucking drag queen. You're not going to, you're not. I was like, oh, okay. I say, I say. <laughs> I pick it up. And we, never, very clear. we never spoke again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so going through that, and I mean, it looked like the most intense, mm. intensive show because there was so much you had to do in that time. Yeah. What was the downtime like in that, in that period? Was there any downtime at all? No downtime. No. No downtime. Si- filming 16-hour days, and at the end of the day, they'd give you a sheet of lyrics telling you what song you're lip-syncing to the next day if you were in the bottom, which, yeah. you know, we were petrified and doing a terrible job of drag. We thought we were going to be in the bottom every day. So it's a 16-hour day, film- day of filming. Go home, run a bath, and get in the water so that you don't fall asleep, because if you fall asleep in the water, you'll die. Yeah. And I would be in the bath learning the lyrics to Untouched by the Veronicas or whatever, and then, you know, three, four hours sleep of wow. anxiety-ridden sleep yeah, before yeah. you get up again and, and do it all again. We filmed the entire season in 16 days with no days off. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. It was crazy. What was it like coming away from that? Um, quite a strange come down um, because what was very obvious, I had one, I had my memory of filming the show and what happened on set while I was there, but I was hyper aware that the edited version would be different to my experience. Not because they're going to change the storylines, but because they had, you know, eight other girls that they had to tell, give their perspective of, yeah. you know, and production and the judges. So my experience of it was one thing, but I knew that as soon as it was on television, that was going to be the memory that I had to stick with. Of course. Yeah. And so it was this weird, um, th- this weird middle ground, this weird purgatory that you just existed in for only, I mean, it was only three or four months before I, they edited it really quickly. Yeah. Um, but the, it was a weird, c- come to, f- felt very alone. Because it was a secret that you weren't allowed to tell anyone, but of everyone course. also kind of already knew they'd been on Reddit. They knew that you did it, but you couldn't talk about it. It was really yeah, strange. Yeah. Are you a fan of reality TV? Have you seen a lot of reality TV? Do you know what, like, when you were you ever worried about an edit? Because a lot of people talk about that with reality shows. Yeah, we were hyper aware. Yeah. And I was really scared of the edit. And I, you know, I got a, I got a fine edit. They did this, made me look like a nice person. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really all that I got out of it, which is fine, which is good for me. Yeah. But um, am I a fan of reality te- television? Not really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be, f- I watched Big Brother when it first came out, and I thought it would be cool when I was a teenager to be on Big Brother. I'm so glad I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't really watch much real. I you know I binge Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but <laughs> apart from that, I'm not really into the reality TV. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and people, I think you know, an edit is such a. I, I would be very worried about how you when you can't control it when you've got no control out of that and you come from making your own things all the time. It's kind of scary to hand all that over. Yeah, and I think that um, I think that that's where maybe people that are not. Um, uh, maybe, maybe as not advanced in their creative career are better at reality television because they are not seeking that control because they're not used to having it. Yeah. They yeah, want absolutely. vulnerability. Vulnerability is what makes a good reality TV star. Yeah. yeah. And so when you came back at what well, the pandemic wasn't, wasn't over in Melbourne. I mean, you know, there was still, there was still a lot of lockdowns. There was still a lot of things happening. When did you start to perform in, in Australia again? Uh, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
yeah, it, when we finished filming, we went into lockdown again that night. Yeah, um, wow. And we were locked down for a little while. I came back. The show aired on the 1st of May and I performed maybe for the first four weeks of the show being out. It was um, Adelaide Fringe and Comedy Festival were kind of happening. But then we went straight back into lockdown again before the season finished. Yeah. Um, and so Australia, I didn't perform again actually until this year. Wow. But um, the last lockdown in, in, in Melbourne... Um, I think I'd been in lockdown for three weeks and then I got a call to go to the UK and I went and toured a, like a play around the UK for nine weeks. Yeah. So that was really cool. That got me out of the country. That was my golden ticket out. And yeah. That was my, that, that was truly my introduction back to the stage. Was that a good thing to go and do something with a, with a team instead of the pressure of, I guess, coming and doing your own show straight away? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. You don't have to worry about your own writing, your yeah. own creative output. Your own, you, you didn't have to worry at all. It was a really funny script that we're working with. It was some amazing drag queens from all around the world. And it was just someone else's work that you got to throw your heart and soul into. And it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. It was such a great um, introduction back to the stage. And yeah. also getting to travel as well. That must have been exciting to be able to leave the country. Yeah, so weird. You know, in somewhere like the UK where COVID doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel a pressure after after being on Drag Race? Uh, I did feel a pressure for the first like 12, 18 months, but yeah. I'm in a really good place now where um, I think what Drag Race really does is it teaches you to like um, – work out what your lane is, pick your lane and like stick with what you know and what you're good at and roll yeah. with that. And I feel like 18 months later from, you know, having the show been out, I feel like I've really, I've really worked out what it is that I love doing and what I'm good at doing. Yeah. And I'm really enjoying it again. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And, and so coming up with new shows and yeah. when you've been, uh, there's a, there's a new show that you're doing or about to do. I mean, we had a chat just before the yeah. podcast about that, but is that something that you really love doing? Because you did the the first show that was at the um the comedy festival this year since doing Drag Race. Yeah, my first my first my first solo show was called Out of Office, and I kind of toured that. Yeah, I I brought that out just before the pandemic, but of course, pandemic stopped me from touring. So I've been touring it up until kind of midway through this year, and then the new show, Doing Time, is about to start. It kicks off at Fringe World in January in Perth. And um, the new show is just like the culmination of everything that I've learned and everything that I love about drag. Yeah, yeah. It's great to celebrate that. And also you'll be back, you know, over that side of the world as well, starting out this this new show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, back in WA where this kind of whole, all, this whole leg of my life began. Yeah. But, you know, and I will, I'll, pr- I'll be flogging it like a dead horse. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be touring the show all around the world yeah. probably for the next five, six, seven years. <laughs> <laughs> well, standard questions that I like to ask on this podcast to get mm. to know someone a little bit better about nature or nurture and yeah. so the first question i'd like to ask is what trait in people do you admire the most what what trait in someone quality or what's something that in a person you're kind of drawn to um that's a great question i think the first thing that comes to mind is some probably someone's free will um someone i can, oh. I guess it comes down to vulnerability, doesn't it? But someone that is um, really unoccupied by their own thoughts and just like really easygoing and um, open to new experiences and open to like being present in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's great. If you could choose to be born into an environment, what would that look like? Like, I mean, your own environment that you're in, do you think that kind of shaped who you are? Yes, but it's only, I only appreciate it. I only enjoy it because I found it. Um, Yeah, sure. I think being born into it, 
would have produced a different kind of person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I would. Um, I think I would love if I had if I had the luxury of choosing that. I think I'd love to be born into a really queer family and queer environment. I'd yeah. love to be. I'd love to be raised by queers. Yeah. Um, I think that. I think I, that's that's a life that I. Yeah. That uh, that I that I, I I could really get behind. That um I can't regret not having for myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. What's your favorite thing about yourself? The fa- my favorite thing about myself. What a humble question. Yeah. <laughs> People always find this one the hardest question out of all of them. I mean, naming something that, you know. I'm going to say my optimism. Yeah. I think I'm a pretty optimistic, like happy, easygoing sort of guy. Yeah. And um, I, I, can, I can tell that other people love that about me. So maybe I enjoy it as well. Yeah. 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 What's something about yourself that you'd change? What's something about myself that I would change? That's, I don't know. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's probably a good thing, that's right? That's great. It's great that you don't, don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, there's probably a lot. No. Like, uh, there's probably a lot of superficial <laughs> things. I don't know what I'd change. Yeah. Uh, who influenced you the most? I think my mom influenced me the most. Yeah. Yeah. I think my mom influenced me the most, both um, when she was alive and around. I'm sure, you know, I am who I am because of her and learn a lot from her, but also maybe her not being around. I feel like I might treasure those lessons and really hold them close to my heart and be quite strict about, uh, you know, learning from and respecting the lessons that she taught me because she's not around. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say my mom. Do you have a lesson that she taught you that was something that sticks out or? I do, kindness. 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 Yeah. Absolute kindness. Yeah. Yeah. She was just a really warm person. Very warm. Yeah. yeah. Very kind. So sweet. Yeah. So sweet. And, yeah. you know, kind of, we're actually very similar people, like really fun, easygoing, but yeah. just kind. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Uh, who do you choose to surround yourself with now? And has that changed over time, the kind of people you spend your time with? Yeah, it the, I, the people that I spend my time with has changed my entire life. Actually, like my friends that I'm friends with now, I've been friends with for probably ten plus years, mm. but they're you know they've not been lifelong friends. I really I kind of make an effort to surround myself with um, diverse, creative, interesting people. I I kind of ha- I, I I want the friends that I have now to be around forever. Yeah. But I I I don't love the idea of just being stuck with kind of one group of friends and then that's it for the rest of your life. Yeah, sure. I want to keep challenging myself and learning and being surrounded by people that yeah keep me on my toes yeah Mm. i love that when are you at your happiest i am at my happiest when i'm surrounded by friends Mm. when i'm surrounded by booze and when i'm surrounded by art yeah wow that's great great. so if we could be like out at the theater or out at a show with friends having a drink yeah that's when i'm at my happiest (laughs) Yeah. yeah when are you at your lowest uh, when I'm on my own. Yeah. Yeah. If I, if I'm on my own and if I'm, um, it, sometimes it can be if I'm away on tour, if I'm on tour and I've been away for too long and I'm on my own and maybe I'm like overworked. Yeah. I don't like that. I love balance and I love, I'm an extrovert. I love to be around people. Um, and I like balance. Yeah. Yeah. If you could pinpoint a moment in time that had the greatest impact or influence on you, do you know what that would be? Yes, it would be waking up on a Sunday morning with one of my ex-boyfriends who introduced me to Dolly Parton through the movie The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, in which I learned that Dolly Parton wrote the song I Will Always Love You. Wow. Groundbreaking. Yeah. I had no idea. No idea. And when she started singing it, I was like, why is she singing this 
Whitney Houston song before Whitney did. What's yeah. going on yeah, here? Yeah. Wow. Life-changing. Big moment. Big moment. <laughs> really <Huge>. big moment. <laughs> um, what's the hardest thing you've been through? The hardest thing I've been through is my mum passing. Yeah. Um, maybe not necessarily the time of her passing. I actually felt like I handled it real well, but it's dealing with her being gone ever since then. And yeah. that is an ongoing journey. Yeah. Was, it a, was it a shock that when, when she passed away? No, she had been diagnosed like 10 years before she passed. And so she went, you know, in and out of remission. She was on and off with having it. And it, sometimes it was really bad. Sometimes it was kind of fine and bearable. But um, when she passed, you know, we'd, I'd been living for years with her in and out of hospital. So I was kind of used to her not being there already. Yeah, sure. Um, so it wasn't a surprise. We knew it was coming. It was obviously still really difficult, but it wasn't, yeah, we weren't shocked. Yeah. Did mm. the family dynamic change after that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was everyone in the family close to her? Yeah, really close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she was, Um. yeah, loved, like, by all, and was a real central point. The real glue in, like, both immediate and external and, like, extended family. Yeah. And the friendship circles as well. Did you talk to friends about it when it happened? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> no. You bottled it up? Or? Yeah, bottled, yeah, yeah. Bottled it all up, hey. Yeah. Um, I, my friends at high school, I was in high, I think I was in year nine, and my friends, um, I was approached by the school counsellor who told me that my friends had gone to them and said that they thought that I should talk. And I remember being really offended by that and being like, how dare they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm fine. I didn't talk to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> when did you decide you wanted to talk to someone about it? Oh, um, when I was much older. Yeah. I think um, it was probably it was probably actually the same point that I started drag where I started really learning about myself and how my head works. Mm. Um, I reckon it was that same phase that I really started talking about how I felt about her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and a lot of, I guess you said before, like a lot of your mum comes through in Karen from Finance as well. Sure. Yeah. Actually, that's such a good point. So, yeah, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. 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 Rue was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what gets you going every day now? What, what gets you up every morning and makes you want to work? Oh, well, it, yeah. It's, what makes me want to work is the work. It's the create, creative output. It's I get really excited by the prospect of having ideas. Yeah. Um, and so I love to go to bed every night thinking – I love to go to bed every night knowing what I'm going to do the next day. Um, and I love waking up every morning being like, right, let me – you know, I don't, I, I don't know necessarily what I'm going to work on, but I'm, I know I'm going to – open my computer and answer a few emails and be like, wow, what's going to come today? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, I always give myself the time at the end of the day to appreciate what came out um, because it's exhilarating. It's so fun. Yeah. And, you know, you can go through those phases where you're um, – where you've kind of got writer's block or you're not feeling creative and the ideas are not flowing. And, you know, it's really hard to accept that. But at the moment, I'm having a really good phase. Yeah. And so what gets me up in the morning is just um, being excited about what's going to flow out. Yeah. Do you have a daily process for, for work? Oh, no, no. no. Um, the only daily process, it's not really a process, but it's more of like a mantra, is just to never be hard on myself. Um, it's okay if something doesn't happen one day because you're probably going to have another day down the line where you do everything. Yeah, And that's sure. okay. Yeah. Do you allow yourself to have time off? Oh, I allow myself to have too much time <laughs> right, off. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> I allow myself to have too much time off. I did Edinburgh Fringe this year in August and I have been on stage once since then. Wow. Um, that's too much time off. Yeah. Have I been writing and producing the whole time? No. Have I been telling people that I've been writing and producing that whole time? Yes. <laughs> I've just been slothing around, but I'm okay with it. You deserve yeah. it. 
Do you have, I guess, do you have a favourite thing that you do out of everything or the favourite thing that you'd like to do? My favourite thing is character development. And it's coming up with um, uh, tropes or concepts or stories that uh, I know are going to be like relatable or funny or enjoyable to people that d- that that extend the idea of who Karen from Binance is. That's my favorite part of performing. If you know, there's there's something that I can add to her story or add to her character that I know the audience is going to like is going to love. That's like that's the greatest achievement. Yeah. What What do you like watching? What do I like watching? Yeah. Like, what do you like to consume as like a you know an audience member? Oh, I guess I'm a bit of a whore. Everything. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't mind. I have no specialty. I, I, I just love watching anything. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't really care what it is. Yeah. I love circus. Yeah. I love live music. I love rock and roll and bands. And yeah. I love cabaret. And I just love, I lo- just love seeing anyone do anything that they're good at. Yeah. Or yeah. that they love doing. Actually, I love watching people be, who are terrible on stage yeah. too. <laughs> as long as they love doing it. Yeah. It's yeah. Great. For, for you, I guess, you know, do you have a lot of ambitions now? Is there something that you want to do that you haven't been able to do yet? Uh, is there something I haven't done yet that I still want to... Yeah, of course. I think my, my ambitions are huge, you know. I don't exactly know where I want to see Karen from finance and myself in 20 or 30 years, um, but I, I have, like, a trajectory of like the way in which I want her to work. Like I just want to be able to keep creating and keep making bigger shows and having bigger audiences and having a, a better, greater time. I don't know what is at the end of that road, but um, yeah, there's a lot of things. There's a few more TV shows I want to do yep. that I don't want to say, talk about right now. <laughs> yeah. There's a, you know, I would love to, I would love to see her utilized in more mediums and medias. Like I'd love, I'd love to, yeah, yeah, I'm not actually not going to answer that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 there's a lot you want to do. Yeah, it's it's hard to go into it without giving specifics. And yeah, sure. I don't want to share the specifics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to end the podcast by asking the same question I did at the start. So, do you think that nature or nurture had the greatest impact on you? Oh wow, yeah, nurture still. Yeah, nurture yeah. still. It's really, it's actually that's funny that you asked that at the end. As well as the start, because um, I can answer that more confidently now. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's so nice to have had that chat and reflect on, um, you know, not all of these things are always at the forefront of your mind when you're creating, and it's nice to reflect on who you are and where you've come from and what's created who you've created. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so if people want to find you, mm. they, they go to Karen from Finance. It's kind of everywhere. You can, <laughs> you can look up that. But if you got something, so you start in Fringe World. Yeah, it's Karen from Finance everywhere. My, my yeah. website, karenfromfinance.com, has everything on it. Yeah. Otherwise, my favourite medium is Instagram. Everything's on there. There's a link tree. It takes you everywhere. Oh, link tree. Look at you go. I've got the huge. Yeah, yeah. huge. <laughs> massive. Can I ask one more question, actually, before we, before we end it? Please. If you could go back and tell a young Richard something, what would, what would you say? Oh, never be ashamed of the creative spirit inside you. Because, I, yeah, there were a lot of people that wanted to dull that down. They thought it was stupid, ridiculous, and a waste of time. And it was it's like, it, it's my greatest asset. It's my greatest joy. It's the thing that I love the most. So any yeah, anytime people wanted to dull that down, don't listen to them and just run with it. Yeah. Mm. Richard, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Nature or Nurture for this week. My name is Sammy Peterson and you can follow me, SamPeterson91 on Instagram. I also have a comedy podcast called Confessions. You can find that. The handles are 
Confessions, the podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. You can also just search it on your regular podcast apps. Please do rate this podcast. Uh, I would love that. It helps get the podcast out there to so many people. Thank you to the wonderful Michelle Laurie and Matthew Tankard. They're, they're great producers and I couldn't do this without them. Please do share this podcast around. I'd love to get it out there to as many people as possible. So please do share it with a friend and tell the person that you just heard on this podcast that you really enjoyed hearing their chat. Thank you so much. Hope you have a good week and I will talk to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.